Blog Talk Radio. It cannot be emphasized strongly enough the beauty, purity, and perfection of who you really are. You are not your illness, your finances, or your loneliness. There's nothing wrong in your life that you don't have the power to correct, and you are unlimited in your ability to tap into that power. Welcome. I'm Janet Richmond, and this is the Higher Self Voice. On my Wednesday fun time, get to share with you guys everything that's in my mind that's been going on or that the higher self are indicating I need to share. And boy, is that happening now big time and not where I imagine myself to be going at this point in time. I knew I'd get there at some point. But as you all remember, it started with the article I read in People Magazine called All American Exorcist. Uh, very interesting article, but I couldn't read it for a couple, three weeks. And finally, I went in and asked the higher self, what's my resistance? And they explained to me that, uh, because I, I kind of looked at the pictures and I read a paragraph here and then, the, you know, the, the dark things under the pictures. And I, I and they said it was the, the approach of, you know, thinking, the reading the the approach where the the idea of who uh, or what was possessing the people that they these these three women who were very very well intentioned really wanted to help really came from the heart. It was difficult for me to read the description that these souls that were possessing the people they were helping were evil, were devils, were Satan, were this kind of thing, and. Um, <clears throat> That is the more traditional viewpoint of possession. It, it does, we, we seem to hear about it through the church. And indeed, these girls learned from a reverend of one of the girls' father uh, the techniques of how to unpossess them. I'm not, they didn't talk about the techniques. They didn't talk about the results at all, just about where they're coming from, how it all happened, how it got started, that they did this work. And it was clear that these are very very uh, intelligent, very smart, very caring three women who um, just by happenstance, one of them was the daughter of this reverend who was very active in handling possession. You know, that's how they got started. So the higher self indicated to me that it was difficult for me to see the, the terms evil placed about around these souls because I had grown up, so to speak, although I, I started when I was adult, but I had learned about entities and attachments and things like that through the Jones Group, where both sides were considered souls in need of help. Both sides were worked on to heal, and both sides were considered equally valuable and equally educatable, so to speak. And so my perspective was different. I didn't come through um, another arena and didn't know anything about it till I started with Jones group. And so I had, they said it was just difficult for me. And so, and I've said this now, this is the third show I'm saying this in because it is, it is, this article has propelled me to share a lot of information with you that I have and I've had for 30 years, uh, 30 plus years, but have just 
been waiting to share till I do my third book. <laughs> and uh, because my third book is about Jane and Company, it's going to be uh, <clears throat> the story of Jane and attachments and many other entities as well. Entities by entities, I mean simply humans that have laid aside the body and are attached to people who are in body. I'm going to go over that in just a minute, but, you know, it makes sense to me. And I really feel that if these young women would have known or the Reverend had known some of this information that the higher selves not only shared with us, but we lived and experienced and watched as both the attached meaning the person in body and the soul out of body that was attached as we went through the process to help both sides and watch both of them evolve and move out of the set place of the attachment syndrome and also our pattern uh, or um, dynamic, whatever you want to say about it. Um, We watched, we experienced, we learned that every soul is can be healed. Every soul is valuable. Every soul is worth helping. Helping. Absolutely. And so that's just how I have had approached it and lived it. And so reading those headlines and sub subtitles and, you know, picture descriptions and things where, where I saw these words of evil and and demons and things like that, it, it, it was upsetting to me, and so I couldn't read the article. And I'm glad I did. The higher self encouraged me to read it, and I read it, and I, and I saw and understood that, of course, a lot of encouragement from the higher self, that maybe now is the time to get some of this information out so that people like these three young women or anyone else who are trying to help with this kind of phenomenon could actually have additional information. Unfortunately, I won't get my book written probably for another year. So I'm putting it out on the audio. Who knows? Maybe somebody will hear about it and pass it on to somebody who will pass it on to somebody who pass it on to somebody. I don't know. If it helps one person in some way, that would be great. Um, but in any case, this work with uh, Jane and company has propelled me. And you know, and I've given you this example before, that when I do my own healing work, that I heal both sides. And I, I always give the example of the French terrorists. Uh, I work both on the victims of the bombings in Paris and on the terrorists that did the bombing. I gave them equal time. It's that way with all of my work. Not, I don't always, if I'm working on someone who's been abused, I don't always have the abuser to work on. But if, I, if the abuser comes in and is interested in working, I do work on the abuser as well. I just always have approached it that way. And I hope that as you listen to the show, that you as listeners will also begin to understand that evil is in the mind of the beholder, not in the soul. It is soul, and I'm going to explain more of it today, is the souls are confused. They have terrible soul scrambles, or they're very low on the frequency level of uh, human, and I'm going to explain that in a minute. Now, um, at the beginning of 
the Jane and Company experience, which was started in 1984. Of course, we didn't call it Jane and Company at that time. We called it the Entity Group, okay? We didn't know about Jane. We didn't know how it was going to turn out. It, it became Jane and Company as we got to know Jane more. And at first, Jane and Company meant Jane and the four other guys, the four guys that were with her in this unsuccessful soul amalgamation that I explained last week. So beginning, it was Jane and Company, <laughs> um, but the four aspects, soul aspects. Anyway, uh, then as the entity group expanded, Jane and Company became to came to mean Jane and the company of out-of-body souls, disincarnate, that became part of the movement, the grassroots movement, so to speak, that sprung up in the human kingdom heaven based on this work. And you're going to learn all about it. It's it's beyond incredible and fascinating. Uh, I still work with Jane and Company all the time, maybe once or once or twice a month at least, sometimes more than that, sometimes less. It just sort of depends on what's coming up in my work. But the but the fact of the matter is that it's fascinating and the book will definitely unfold all that story. But in any case, we didn't always call it Jane and Company, but I that's what I call it now. And right from the get go, the higher self indicated that this group would be dealing with attachments, and it wasn't the same as possession. Now, try as I might, I looked everywhere for them to explain what exactly possession was, and I think I mentioned last week that they never explained it, and in fact, they didn't. So this week, <laughs> like a good little girl, I suppose, well, just because I'm so endlessly curious, and if I'm going to put something out in the air, I'm going to try to find the answers, I went out and asked the higher self about well, okay, I understand attachment. What about possession? And they came right in and explained it to me. So I'm going to explain it to you today. But I'm going to first begin with attachment. Now, attachment is simply a case where an entity, or in this case, a human soul who's laid aside the body, still has an attachment to people, places, or things from the life he or she just left. The higher self call this a soul set, okay? Now, a soul set is when, when with the laying aside of the body, the mind of the prior life remains fixed on the experiences of that life. Now, let me explain or define the mind, okay? And I'm only using, I'm only using these words and, and giving you the definition so that we're all on the same page. When I say mind, I don't want somebody to interpret it in a different way. The way the, the higher self define mind, and if, and if you want to read more about it, I do explain this in, you know, clearly in my second book, Soul Psychology, uh, right off the bat, because it's important that we all have the same definitions. Everybody defines mind in a different way, depending on what philosophy, what science, what religion, what whatever somebody comes from. So the higher self explain the mind in this way, that when we uh, take on a new body, we're reincarnating, the soul creates an aspect of itself, okay, we, you learned about aspects, didn't you, <laughs> last week, creates an aspect of itself that takes on the, the newborn body. Now, the aspect is part of the soul. It is inexperienced, and it goes through just like the body with every taste, touch, feel, sight. 
experience is learning. So the mind of the mind is the current life. We're living in each of us, each of you listening on the radio is or on the internet, I guess, the the web radio. Each of us is carrying the mind of this life. When we lay aside the body, the mind of each life gets taken into the conglomerate soul. This is what normally happens. And so that the mind of each life becomes part of the conglomerate soul. And in this way, the soul is learning and growing and experiencing and is carrying every single thought, emotion, experience, action, belief, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, from each and every life. At the soul level, we carry it all because we, when we lay aside the body, we don't lay aside the energetics that I've explained over and over again. I don't need to explain again. So we don't lay aside the energetics. Now, however, sometimes when a soul lays aside the body, the mind, it can fixate when death occurs. If the death is overwrought with a distress, discomfort, jealousy, anger, or any kind of intensely powerful emotion, the emotion can lock the soul's focus to the prior life can, or can set the soul's focus to the prior life, the life he just left behind, instead of to the conglomerate soul. So the higher self call it a soul set because the soul or the mind of that current life, when, it, when the body's laid aside, the mind of that life is set on the experiences of the prior life, locked, it's focused to the prior, focused to the prior life. And it's usually done when there's some very intense emotions at the death experience. So it, it holds the mind aspect to that prior life while, the, while that soul or the mind is in heaven, okay? So that's the soul set. And that's what happens when souls be, remain attached to people, places, and things, okay? Now, Jane, for example... She fell in love with Hugh, remember, the lord of the manor that she was, that Ralph, the capstone of that unsuccessful soul conglomerate. Ralph was in body. Jane was one of the soul aspects that were present. She fell in love with Hugh. It was unrequited love because Hugh was seeing Ralph, and Hugh was heterosexual, so she wasn't interested in Ralph. So when Jane was coming out, she would flirt with Ralph, I mean, with Hugh, and, but the flirting didn't affect Hugh because he wasn't gay. So Jane got more and more frustrated throughout the life because it was really unrequited love. She became obsessed with Hugh. So when she laid aside the body, she remained set or locked into that prior life and moved through the next centuries, because it's about three centuries went by before we met Jane. Uh, 
she became focused on Hugh and followed him lifetime after lifetime and attached to him in this way. Now, Joan's group did not deal with attachments to places and things, only to people, because that was really the more important thing. Uh, one day, I'm going to get into the attachment to, pe- to places or things, and but this kind of attachment is It's the same thing. It's a soul set, and it's the basis for haunting, ghosts, things like that. And we're not going to get into it. I have to get some more information on it because this was not part of the entity group. And just like with the the possession information, I will get some information on how souls create a soul set that's intensely attached to places or things. And we all know what happens. We know buildings and uh, are haunted and this is the case of the soul that is stuck in the prior life experiences in this case the soul when they're attached to buildings there is there there are things or places they're attached to not people it's the people connection that i talk about and i will be talking about in jane and company and because i feel that is so significant, so important because it is, it affects, it can affect, can have major effects, which it did on you. So how does attachment work exactly? Well, it can play out in more than one way. I'm not going to go into a lot of detail about it, but I will tell you about Jane's case because she was really clear how she controls Hugh because attachment often involved, it's just not some, at least in the case of Jane, it wasn't just that she just followed him around and he had no idea what was going on. She actually had a tremendous effect on his behavior. She actually would send him, and she described it to us really clearly, she'd send a stream of thought telling him what she wanted him to do, okay? Now, she gave it, she painted a picture. She said it's like a long black thread that went from her to him. And it would penetrate into his mind. And he either had a choice to do it or not. She was very, 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 very clear on this that he had the choice. Now, let me explain. He didn't know he had an attachment. He did hear voices. I believe he knew that he, I mean, he said that he heard voices from time to time, but he didn't know he had an attachment. He didn't know what was going on. He was clueless, but so the agreement wasn't, didn't have anything to do with the conscious mind. It was a soul level agreement, guys. Remember, the, the, the free will is a soul level decision. It is not the mind level. And a lot of times our soul and mind are in agreement. A lot of times they aren't. It, it doesn't matter. It is the soul bottom line that makes that has the free will. But she was so clear. She said, if he says no and means it, she can't do anything to control his behavior. He didn't say no very often, but there were times she would explain that he would really put up a fight and really would say, you know, no, no, no. And then if, if that was the case and he stuck to it, she couldn't do anything. But for the most part, he gave in because he just didn't have 
the conscious knowledge of what was going on. He didn't have the inner strength. He remembered that by the time we're meeting you and we're learning about you, she's been attached to him for 300 years. So he's very used to this attachment. And he's used to listening to this voice and having the voice tell him what to do. It's part of the norm for him. So I'm guessing, although this this didn't this didn't really come out, so maybe I shouldn't say it, but my feeling is that it became more and more difficult to him over time to stand up to that voice. And in this level in this life, he displayed tremendous bizarre behavior often. And this is why he was put into institutions from time to time. Sometimes he was jailed. Sometimes he would take his clothes off in the middle of the busy street and he was put into jail or he was put into a mental hospital or whatever. He constantly and chronically moved. He could never stay in one place more than a month or two. He had almost no friends at all. He had a very loyal family, but he didn't live with his family, at least not for the most part of his adult life. And he had just a very, very difficult life off and on meds trying, you know, they tried very hard to resolve his problems. Um, But here's what Jane explained to us. She wanted you all to herself. And the minute he tried to make friends, the minute he started feeling comfortable in some place and was, excuse me, gaining strength, gaining good feelings about himself, she send him thoughts to do something bizarre to cut those ties, to make sure that she was the only one that he would listen to. And I'm sure, although she didn't say this, but I bet she, actually, she's here right now. Oh, Jean. <laughs> it's making me cry because I do love her. She's just an amazing, She's been an amazing part of my life, and uh, I do love her. Anyway, she's here right now giggling, and she's saying uh, what I was going to say, and she's agreeing, is that she she gained in her ability over time as well to manipulate Hugh to get her to get him to do her bidding, because as they went through, and she went through and learned about what to do, what she could do, what she couldn't do, and what worked and what didn't work with you. She gained some expertise uh, over him. And (laughs) so by the time we get to this line, she's really good at her tricks. And she's nodding her head and she says, and I'm not proud, but it's all okay. I've forgiven myself. So she has. And so is Hugh. He's laid aside the body. He's no longer uh, with us. And uh, anyway, um, this this one piece of information is pretty fascinating. And she, I'm sorry, but I'm listening to Jane at the same time. I'm having a hard time here. She actually convinced him that he was gay. Why? Because her jealousy of him ever being with a woman was off the chart. So she allowed him to be with men. By convincing him to be gay, he would be with men, but she didn't have to deal with the absolute raving jealousy that she had if he were with a woman. And so, yes, he did think he was gay. And, in fact, she explained how she had convinced him of that fact. Now, please, guys, don't assume 
that anybody out there who's gay has an attachment of some female who's in love with him and doesn't want him to be uh, with a woman. So that's probably uh, maybe the one or very one of very few cases. I don't know. <laughs> don't have any information on that. But Trust me when I say attachments can be very debilitating, can hold someone stuck. And in fact, both souls, both Jane and Hugh, remained stuck. Neither one of them were progressing. Jane wasn't progressing and either was Hugh in their own journey, in their own unfoldment, in their own um, evolvement. And slowly over time, Jane understood this very well. She especially understood it when she started helping us with other, she would bring us uh, or tell us about other entities that were attached to somebody and she would begin to work with them. And by looking at somebody else and what they were doing to their attachee, she began to understand very well what she had been doing to Hugh. And slowly but surely, and certainly with the help of the higher self, you have no idea, which I will explain in the book, she came around and understood and consciously and with full um, conscious awareness decided to detach from Hugh, and she did. Now, remember that during this whole period, there's healing going on for both Hugh and Jane. Both of them are being worked on almost in every session. And it, that is the approach that the higher selves have always had. And as I keep saying, but it is just so important for you to understand. Okay. Now, that's one example of attachment. This, this using thought energy is, is absolutely part of it. There, there also can be an emotional attachment where emotions are amplified and triggered and the person is, quote unquote, controlled in this way by the entity. Uh, there are also uh, instances of astral, using the astral energy to change somebody's behavior, to empower and amplify something that's already carried in the attachee's energetic body. And all of these will be discussed in my book, on Jane and Company. The, so attachment is, 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 you can't say always and or never. Attachment is complicated and it can be complex. It can be done in different ways. Uh, one of the entities that, that I'll be describing, the Lucifer, clones using astral energy a, I think I mentioned this, an entity that, we, that was named Thor, T-H-O-R, who had literally moved into his very first life as a human, the Lucifer element cloned Thor and used the clone of this very elementary kind of uh, or um, early frequency human to control others. So it was, there are just a lot of different ways that these things can happen. And that's why there's a lot of confusion on the planet about things. That's why People don't understand what it's coming from. It's just hard to know. Is it actual soul energy that's doing something? Is it an astral entity, an astral energy identity? 
or altered reality. I've talked about astral altered reality quite a bit on the show. If you haven't heard me talk about it, please go back to last year. I do a whole series on the astral. It's very important because it's, and I have a whole section in my third book on the astral, and it's not about just astral travel. It's not about astral travel at all, but it explains the astral from the viewpoint of the higher self, and you might just want to familiarize yourself with this other way of looking at things, whether you believe it or not, is not what I'm trying to tell you to do. But it's hard to understand totally the whole idea of entity attachments uh, without understanding astral energy. They come up all the time. Uh, astral energy comes up all the time in the entity situation, and we are always clearing astral energies that are penetrated holes in, in the auric field of the attachee and there's just a lot a lot to learn so it might be might be helpful to educate yourself about the astral energy and how it works just in general from my thir- second book soul psychology but in any case you can also go back and listen to the radio shows on and they are indexed so i think there's 2015 I don't know. I can't remember. But anyway, okay. There's a lot of other things that that are a lot of other techniques and tools that are used in in entity attachments to uh, those humans and body. Uh, Again, I'm not going into it fully, but I do want to move on to possession. I have a big healing today, by the way. Forgot to mention that at the top of the show. I I am doing a healing today, so I want to get through my information and time, so I have time to the healing. Anyway, I want to move on to possession. Uh, with attachment, as I explained, the soul is the entity is out of body and is attached with a soul set to someone in body for whatever reason. And you're going to learn about a lot of different reasons in my book, because I talk about a lot of different types of attachments, okay, in, in the book. And it is controlling the soul and body with, as I explained, the use of thought energy, maybe emotional energy, maybe astral energy, maybe a mixture of those one or two or all three. But the two souls remain separate, okay? Possession, however, is is similar to what we view as traditional channeling. Now, let me just explain this to you. When someone channels another soul, there's actual mixing of soul energy. Now, Jerome, who is a master teacher, describes this very clearly, and I have his explanation and his description in the second book as well, Soul Psychology, it's fascinating. Being a master teacher, he has been channeled probably tens or hundreds of thousands of times. He's been around as a master teacher for almost 50,000 years. So he's very, very aware and very knowledgeable about the channeling situation. And he explains to us that channeling is a mixture of soul energy, the soul actually moves in and mixes the soul energy with the channel. 
he goes on to say you have to be careful who you channel as a result because when the soul who that's being channeled leaves, it leaves behind a flavor or a residue of their own soul. And so the channel can take on this residue of the souls they're channeling. And so Jerome does explain that it is very important to be very discerning. He doesn't actually say be amalgamated, but in fact, I don't think he does. But in any case, you, if you use the amalgamation when you're planning to channel, the, your higher self will be the gatekeeper and won't allow the soul through that are either masqueraders or carrying some, uh, even if well-intentioned, they're not ones that, uh, they're ones that could do the channel or uh, harm, so to speak, with whatever garbage or residue they leave behind. So that's just an offshoot of, of, of that uh, bit of information. But um, so anyway, before I move on to explain how possession is similar to channeling, please, if you are a channel and you do listen to the show, please amalgamate with your higher self and, and your pure soul essence and the originating source and be sure that you are discerning who you are channeling. And remember, there are many masqueraders out there and that does that is explained also by Jerome in, and I explain it in the book because I give, you know, I give his story. He came through, Joan reflected him. Now, when Joan does it, she does not channel. There's no mixing of the soul energy. She does a process called reflection, which is basically, it's as if she's looking at the person and mimicking what they say, how they act. She's fully conscious, fully aware. There is no mixing of the soul energy at all. And the higher self, in, you know, from the get-go, use that technique or had her taught her and had her use that technique from the start. So, but in any case, when somebody channels, they are consciously asking for the soul to connect with them. They are giving permission at the conscious level and at the soul level for the soul to connect with them. However, in possession, there is no conscious agreement. It's an unconscious agreement. In other words, the soul of the possessed is agreeing to the possession, even though the mind doesn't know, doesn't have any conscious knowledge of what's happening, hasn't agreed. It is at the soul level that the soul who is possessed has agreed. Or otherwise, as Jane very clearly states, the possession would not happen. It is actually the case of co-creation, though with a very difficult, painful, and very misunderstood outcome. Position, possession is very difficult, guys. It is a very difficult uh, scenario. Now, both attachment and possession usually comes from the foundation of the out-of-body soul carrying some issue with power wanting to control, wanting to manipulate, wanting to hurt, wanting to get revenge, wanting to possess, wanting to whatever. There are souls actually, certainly with attachment, I didn't get enough information on the possession thing to find out if it's true for possession, but there are souls that attach that are well-intentioned. Uh, we did come across one or two of those 
examples in the entity group with Joan. I remember one time where there, there was a, um, a man that was attached by his grandfather, I believe, that started when he was a child. When the grandfather laid aside the body, he was very, he loved his grandson. I may be goofing up on some of the details, but I remember there was this tremendous love. And then when the grandfather laid aside the body, he was upset with how the grandson's family was. You know, there was, it wasn't a very enlightened family. And so the grandfather was trying to protect the son and having him do whatever he had him do. And I've forgotten the details. But in any case, the son grows up and he's been told what to do by the grandfather. Even though the grandfather was really well-intentioned, it had some some real delaying uh, tactics on this young boy growing up and maturing. He grew up physically, but he wasn't growing up mentally, psychologically, socially, etc. So it was holding this gentleman back and we... We, we did, I remember, we did work on it, and the, got the, I, I do believe that resolved itself. But in any case, there was a well-intentioned business here, uh, but still there was an element of control, an element of, of overprotection, so to speak. And the higher self explained that often those that are doing the attachment the souls that are out of body, those that are doing the possession, possessing, are tend to be souls that are very low level frequency on the human scale of evolution. Often they are op, they are so new or so low the frequency level, meaning they haven't moved their conscious awareness very high up on the evolutionary frequency of humans, so that they are operating mostly or much of the, I don't know, it's not all, of course, but, but a lot out of the basic animal nature. Because when we evolve from animal to human, that very first level, we are, we basically have 100% of the animal nature. We have the intellectual, we've gone through a, a transition period, the, the eighth and ninth level between the animal kingdom and the human kingdom. In the eighth level, we move into the conglomerate animal soul level, and we take on all of the information, all of the knowledge of the animal kingdom, so that we are, as, as the animal soul, that we are the conglomerate animal soul, we have the totality of the knowledge of the totality of the animal kingdom. Very important part of the transition, because we don't want to have holes in our, <laughs> our understanding. Then the ninth level is the preparatory level for moving into the human kingdom. Now, in the ninth level, we are getting information about the human kingdom, but it's intellectual. It's not based on experience. There's, we haven't been human yet, so there's no experience. So we move into the human level and that low level of humanity, we are not understanding what we all take for granted today, it's very, very basic, guys. Very basic. And when, you, when I write my third book, when you meet Thor, you'll see just how basic it is. Because he's had one life, one human life. And it's very primitive, very um, caveman-like. And, and we tend to aggrandize and, and anthropomorphize, I should say, 
the caveman mentality of being so spiritual and so in touch with nature and so, you know, these very grand kind of things. But the first level of human, in fact, is really not consciousness is not raised at all, uh, just barely beginning. And it's a huge journey, as I explained last week. We send out all those aspects of ourselves to learn. It's just so much to learn. So anyway, to get back to this possession thing and the attachment, it's often, most often, it is the lower levels of soul energy, soul frequency, humans, that are doing the attaching. They are operating often out of the very lowest levels, mostly out of the animal kingdom. Now, if you look at the animal kingdom, you see in whether it's the big cats, the even the um, you know wolves, uh, you know the there's a lot of animals where territory, status, power, a lot of fights. I mean, you know, you have like I don't know blue steel, but you know a lot of uh, deer family. They have you know, they're fighting, the males are fighting each other for dominance, even walruses, you know, there's this fight for dominance to get the female, okay, territory is very important everywhere, power, status, and so a lot of the early souls that move into, I mean, all of us that move into the early levels of human are carrying the knowledge and the experience of being in those kind of animal groups where dominance and territory and power, the strongest survival of the fittest, the strongest wins, the strongest gets to get the women. Uh, it's all part of what we're carrying at that male nature. That, that the animal nature is part of the animal nature that we're now carrying in the human kingdom. And so a lot of these attachment and possession of souls, they're still very low in their evolutionary process. And that's the idea of needing to dominate to, 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 uh, to have power. Power is a big issue in this kind of thing. Now, those who are, get attachments to them, the attachees, the possessed, so to speak, also, if you look at the animal kingdom, don't we have many examples of animals who are very low on the dominance factor? They're barely on the fringes of the society. They barely <clears throat> get enough food. They're often, you know, cringing, begging, sneaking around because they have no strength, no power, no status. And those they're souls that carry that part of the animal nature. And those kind of souls often are the ones, not always, trust me, maybe the ones that are accepting the possession because maybe any attention, good, bad, or indifferent, is, makes that soul feel more part of something, more accepted, more part of the group. Now, um, that's just one example of one possibility. I don't believe Hugh had anything to do with that. But 
sometimes it's just soul scrambles that are so entrenched and very crippling that get in the way. And it may be the attachees or the possessed may very well uh, be much more advanced in the evolutionary frequency of humans than the attach than the one the attacher or the possessed core, um, but are carrying some great hurts and deep wounds. As I recall, with Hugh, he had a huge insanity pattern, and we worked hard on neutralizing that. And the sanity was tiny, tiny. He was actually very, very um, had no self connection to his own sanity and felt very comfortable with the insane pattern. And so his was a different situation completely than this, you know, early animal kind of situation. But I'm just trying to give you some ideas and I hope I didn't misexplain. But we're often talking either in, in, in any case, we're talking about souls that are crippled, that are stuck, that need help that can be educated, that can be moved from this soul sex that they're in, from the stuck pattern where they are, into continuing their journey. Now, there is no stopwatch. Some of these souls can be in place for thousands and tens of thousands of years. There's no stopwatch that says there's any timeline to evolution, that you have to do it faster. But as you know, the orientation, the commitment, the destiny of all fifth dimensionals in place carrying the dual soul nature of all fifth dimensionals, period. But to make it personal to you at all and, and to everyone listening to the show, the, the sole purpose is to accelerate the evolutionary journey of the souls, the human soul. That's what we're here for, to accelerate. And in this way, this, this topic is important. We want these souls to move on, to continue to be educated. Now, the lucky thing is that we have Jane and company on the other side, because Jane and company are still helping all the time. They are helping in so many ways. And they are working for the most part on souls on the other side, those that are attached and those that are possessing. The ones that are attached and not possessed, in, a, in some ways, it's slightly easier. Why? Because there is no soul mixture. The soul is separate. So Jane Company can work with that soul that is separate, the attached, the, the entity that's attached. They work with that soul to try to encourage it, to educate it, to move it along, to uh, motivate it to to learn and grow, et cetera, et cetera. The higher selves work with them. They're always supervised. Jerome, the master teacher, works with them. They are, are supervised. They are learning, and they are helping. And they, they are helping from a place of knowing what it's like to be attached and how and knowing how it was to be stuck in that attachment, having that soul set. They, they work from that place, so they come with great empathy. They come with great knowledge and experience, and they can say how difficult 
They know how difficult it is to detach and shift the focus. But Joan, uh, Joan, Jane now is has moved into moving into the conglomerate soul. They are now one. And when that happened, I don't know. I have to go into my notes to see how long it took. But it's you know brought tears to all of our eyes because now she is continuing on her journey as the conglomerate soul, and it is just a, a beautiful thing. Um, and I don't know how much longer she'll be working on the other side, but it's 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 just it's huge. This is very exciting. Anyway, it is easier when there is a separate soul. So the attachment, in a way, as difficult as it can be. As much help as we have with Jane and company, it is there is um, an element here that's easier. And one one thing just to explain to you is if the attachee is aware. Now this happens not all the time, but there were times, many times, we worked in this attachment situation where the attachee was not present, didn't know it was attached, he or she was attached. But there was one time and the attachees were present in part of the healing. And the higher self gave them techniques to, as the healing was going on for the entity and for them, the higher self said you can use these techniques to try to, not to try, so that you can keep the entity from finding you. So, and the technique was simply that they had to create, through their mind, a smoke screen. Just literally create a smoke screen around them, although it was only one was attached, but the other one was part of the picture, and you'll learn about that in the book. So they created this, this smoke screen around them so that the entity couldn't find them. Well, when the entity is part of the, and has mixing at the soul level, there is, you can't do that kind of smoke screen because the entity is part of the soul. Now, what I have not gotten yet from the higher self, and they have indicated that I will be moving into dealing with attachments on my own. I have done a couple, three in in the last, I don't know, five, six years. Not a lot, but they said I am going to be moving into dealing with attachments and even possession. But so there's plenty of time for me to <laughs> unfold and learn about the different techniques. But they said the soul that is possessed would not be able to use that smoke screen technique, for example, because the soul is already, the soul energy is already mixed. So, um, but there are techniques. They assured me there are ways to deal with it. It's just, they didn't give it to me. So there you have it. Um, but in but basically, all those that are possessed, all the attachees, all of those humans in body that have souls that are in a state of a soul set due to very intense emotional attachments to the prior life, those those situations are crippling for both souls. They are crippling. They come out of many different reasons, different scenarios. Uh, the higher selves are really clear. You can't say always, always or never. There is, but both sets of souls are absolutely worth the same. They have equal value. They both need healing. They both need help. 
and neither one, neither side, is evil, Satan, or a demon. Now, there are sometimes astral energies, like I've told you, there's actual altered realities in the astral that are demons or Satan, but it's not another soul. And we're not, I'm not talking about the, the astral identities. I'm talking about the souls, the souls that possess another soul or the souls that are attached to another soul. Those souls are not evil. They are not demons. They are equally value, uh, valuable, equally equal to the souls that are attached. There is a, a, an agreement at the soul level for these, these two, one or the other of these things to be operational. There is great need for healing for both sides. And if and when I do move into doing some of the, this kind of work, I don't know whether I'll do it on air or just talk about it afterward. Um, you know, I just never know. I absolutely will let you guys know either way. I mean, if it's on the show, it's on the show. But I will let you guys know if it's something not on the show. Uh, but it's but it's important. I want people to understand and see that just calling something evil is not really fully dealing with the right with the issue. It's not fully understanding. It comes from a place of uh, misunderstanding and misconception and misinterpretation. And would that be normal and natural? Of course, because there isn't and there hasn't been for until recently. This kind of information wasn't out there. It, nobody knew. And that's really why I'm bringing this out, guys, so that people have a choice to think, okay, you can either choose to think someone is evil or you can choose to think that they're operating out of a very crippled soul scramble or they're operating out of low-level awareness at the human level. But either way, it's a choice to see are they evil or just we didn't understand before and maybe it isn't about evil. Maybe it's just about they need help because that's really what it is, guys. All right. So that's my story and I'm sticking to it. Uh, (laughs) The healing today is going to be for John. And I've worked on John in the past, and he, his life was really moving forward. And then I get this just desperate few texts from him. And I said, send me an email and let me see the full story. And he sent me the email, which I am going to read to you. It's going to break your heart because it's just devastating. Uh, and I told him I would do a healing for him on the radio again. Um, I have, just so you know, and you have in your head when you're hearing this, he has moved a bit out of this place, and he's feeling more stable. He said that he has started to listen to some of my shows and doing the healings on them, and it's helping him feel much better. Sometimes when we get into a really deep, dark place, we don't even have any motivation to do the work. We, we just can't think. We don't even think of it half the time, and if we do think of it, it's like, oh, I just, I can't. I'm just... And so, whatever, I can't do the work. So, I think this is where he was. 
I did respond to him an email uh, last week when I got this one. So he's heard from me. He knows about the show. I don't know if he's able to listen live or not. But in any case, it's worth doing a healing for because there's very few of us that haven't been in this kind of very dark place. And if we haven't in this life, (laughs) mostly for sure, we have been in some other lives. So it's worth each and every one of you listeners, past, present, and future, to pay attention and do the healing as if I'm working on you. Okay, so here's what John says. So I found out while trying to order breakfast a few weeks ago that my bank account was empty. I prayed that my account had been hacked. Can you imagine praying for that? But the reality was worse. Uh, But the reality was that since I moved back to L.A. in March of this year, despite living very frugally and working as hard as I could, I've been losing hundreds of dollars every month. And I had had over 1,400 in the bank before leaving. So he, he said, I knew I wasn't putting much away, but I figured I was at least breaking even. I'd hoped being out here full time would allow me to reconnect with, with my girlfriend. Instead, six months later, we've never been further apart. She's letting me know she's going to date other people. And as much as I can't blame her, it hurts so much that I couldn't fix us, that I couldn't talk her into couples counseling for us to have a legitimate shot at fixing our problems. I failed. I turned 34 about a week ago, only to realize what an absolute failure I'd become. I'd mismanaged my finances to ruination, let a relationship sink into nothingness, and lied to myself the whole time that things were getting better. I kept telling myself I may be living terribly, but at least I was finally moving toward the goals of life I wanted. I kept telling myself I was doing what I had to do so that I could have some sense of accomplishment of basic self-worth. The reality is I've been a loser living on friends' couches and only going backwards for it. I'm sitting in an old car that just failed smog, the Fox smog test, that I'll probably be living in until it's towed away because I might not be able to get it re-registered. I'm typing this email on a phone someone is loaning me because mine broke and I can't afford a new one. And until I'm kicked out, I'm living at my girlfriend's place having to sleep next to her knowing it will never be the same again. I'm using a data plan from another relationship I was in years ago because I'm a leech who can't afford his own. I typed this after admitting to someone that I've had to quit acting because I've never got anywhere with it and it was just one more expense. Thoughts of ending my life are entering my mind again because I can't take being this embarrassment anymore with cowardice perhaps being the only real thing keeping me from entertaining the thought further. This is how I feel and who I am as I type it. I let everyone down again. And then he sent me an email later saying, and I just got a jaywalking ticket. Okay, guys, we're talking about someone who's really in the depths of despair. One thing after another, every element of his life, he feels he failed. And so I don't know. These elements we've worked on before, I don't know what the higher self are going to come up with this time. As you know, I I never know. But I know everyone feels the same, that our hearts go out to him. I don't want anyone to feel like he's just a complainer or a whiner. Uh, That I recently had an email 
actually it was a text from him saying, I hope you don't think I'm just a complainer and a whiner. So I want to just say to everyone else, this is a man who's reaching out. Who's, it's, it's a cry for help. We've all been in that place. He doesn't know where to turn to. And we want to open our hearts to him and to ourselves when we're in this kind of situation. And don't use this, this time to judge. Well, he's just a complainer and whiner. Why do you need to get over it? You know, that kind of thing doesn't help anybody. It only adds to the bad feelings that that person would have about himself, that he's yet again done something wrong, yet again failed. So uh, I really do hope that that you all hear me on that. It broke my heart when you wrote that to me because that's never where I go. And But I hear it, I see it everywhere, and certainly uh, in times past, I've thought that way myself. Not for a long time, but it's part of all of what we carry. We all carry that tendency. You know, well, I've suffered so much, and you don't see me complaining, that kind of thing. So let's not use somebody else's state of real hurt to judge. Instead, let's use the state to become aware that this person is crying for help and see what we can do to help. And there are times when we meet people that do it over and over and over and over again. They can't hear when we try to help in whatever way. They can't hear us. And so we find a way to tune them out. We find a way to walk away. We find a way to do whatever we do to handle it. But bottom line, hold on to the understanding. We might not be able to help. We might not be able to give them that that aha, that insight, that something that will begin to shift them. Not everybody is like me going to do a healing. And there's times where I run into people like that and either I wasn't doing these healings before or uh, it isn't appropriate because someone's not coming to me for healing. They're not asking for that. And I, you know, I can't work on everyone that comes into my life. But instead of judging, let's just acknowledge they need help and that we are we are not in a place for whatever reason that we are going to help them, but let's hold the space for them in love that we can understand them, that we love them and we love ourselves because we've all been in that place. If we aren't now, we've been in that place before. So let's hold that space of love. Let's activate. If there's nothing more that we do, we've tried all we can try suggesting this, that, or the other solutions. We've done everything we can do. There is always one thing that we can do no matter what, and we don't have to look and find a result. We can help them without knowing that we've helped them, and that is to become one with that pure soul essence and send them divine love. Send them divine love. You don't have to say it out loud. Just send them divine love, divine forgiveness, and whatever else, divine energy you might come up with based on the situation or the condition. We can do this, guys. We can help in this small way. We won't see the results, most likely. Maybe you will. You never know. Maybe the next time you see them, they're not going to complain as much. Or maybe they're going to say, wow, something changed. This, that, or the other. Everything else still sucks, but this over here changed. You might see results, but it isn't about the results. It's about 
sending that love, allowing them, flowing it around them, giving them the opportunity to take it in. Maybe some divine forgiveness, maybe some uh, divine nurturing, some uh, financial or uh, material balance. Whatever comes to mind based on the situation, that's what I recommend. Instead of judging, that we lead with the the love, even if it's just all um, in quiet. You can also say it. You can use some words. I don't know. It depends on the situation. You wouldn't want to tell a stranger or an acquaintance. Uh, The only relationship you have is you meet in the lunchroom from time to time and they go on and on about how terrible their life is, you know, in some work environment. You know, you wouldn't say words of love to somebody like that, but you can say it for some instances and just give them the unconditional love. You don't have the answers. You don't have the solutions, but understand that the divine energies can be there for them, can help. Okay? All right. So let's go in and do this healing for John. Okay. Everybody make yourself comfortable. Quiet your mind and do the healing for yourself. Um, I'm already seeing everything is being set up. I want us to focus on that pure soul essence, that pure soul essence light. And I want everyone to focus on the true soul essence, that that part of us that's that fifth dimensional part that also carries six dimensional aspects. It's a very huge part of our soul process. And as I, my symbol is changing. I think I told you last week that it became sort of this large male sort of figure. And the higher self said that was my projection. Well, and now it's changed again. It is now not that humanoid looking. It's just a big energy field, even bigger than it was before. It's sort of, it's beyond the boundaries of my physical body. And it just kind of continues into the, into whatever the atmosphere, the space. Um, It's just getting bigger and bigger as I detach from that focus of the male figure. I neutralize that projection And so now it's moved into something even more expanded. So the symbols you have, the pictures you have, the ideas, the colors, whatever, the shapes that you have will change and modify because those aren't it. They represent what you're, the energy behind it. So that's the, um, so that's really key to be aware that your symbols, that your experiences, your feelings, your sensations can change and move and expand. Okay. So I want all of us to focus on that pure soul essence and be most potent point of personal power. We each have a pure soul essence and it is carries the totality of all that originating source was, is, and is becoming. And I'm seeing the light expand in and around the totality of each and every individual that is part of this group. And there are many. I see John right in the center of the group. He's already present on the platform. Uh, Everything gets set up so quickly that I'm 
I'm going through the amalgamation fairly quickly now, and I have heard from one listener who wants me to go back to the more detailed expansion, uh, the more detailed explanation, because she feels it really helps her. So I'm thinking maybe there's others of you that like it too. So let's let's do that. It just came popped into my mind. So I now want everyone to focus on that divine symbolic sunlight within and I want you to see it pulsing, almost breathing, almost like breathing into the physical body, each and every molecule, each and every tissue, each and every organ and system in the body, bringing with it its purity, its perfection, its healing, its rejuvenating, its uh, regenerative uh, abilities, and it's even moving into the the spaces, the the, the spaces between the material is just filling the totality of who we are at the physical level. And now I want everyone to continue to see it expand and pulse past the physical body, pulse into the etheric of the mind of this life, the, the etheric bodies, the thought form, the habit body, the emotional body, the creative body, and many, many more bodies, all of the etheric bodies that we carry surrounding us. Um, and bringing its balance, its harmony, its ability to neutralize, its ability to empower our process, our movement, our unfoldment. It's expanding all of that. And now the light is moving in and around the totality of us at the soul level from the moving into, into and around the path now when we were minerals and plants and animals and humans before we moved into the fifth dimension. And then the fifth dimensional part of ourselves and the sixth dimensional part of ourselves and is taking in the totality of all of that as well as the facade human soul that we have taken on as fifth dimensional. The facade human soul is what we work on in these sessions because the fifth dimensional part of our soul aspects are already clear of these energetics that we carry. We took on the facade soul when we returned as volunteers because we already have the the clarity and we've already moved into the divine will, but we agreed to live in the human kingdom following the rules and regulations of the human kingdom, which means we're living in a free will kingdom. So we took on the facade soul to play out our return, carrying that dual soul nature. So when we, when we do the work to neutralize, we are neutralizing what is carried at the facade soul level. Remember, we have been uh, in tens and hundreds, if not millions of lives, since we returned, we're talking billions and billions and billions of years. And so at the facade soul level, the human soul level, we have taken in all of those experiences, all of the beliefs from all of the lifetimes. And many, many, if not most of them were very lower frequency lives, uh, situations on different planets, because those are the areas that needed the, our energies the most. So we chose so often to move into those societies. And so we're working on all that we 
picked up, all that we took on, all those beliefs, all the hurts, all the difficulties, the suffering from those lives. So we want the light to move in through and around the totality of our facade soul. That's where we're doing the healing, guys, if you haven't understood it before. And so now I am seeing a beautiful picture of just huge beacons of light from each and every party, past, present, and future. And it's the future now, too, because we have also evolved into the, not evolved, we've also been present on planets that are in the future now of this planet. Planets that are have moved toward another uh, or are already in and well into the new age uh, concept. And I talked about this last week. So we are, we've become these beautiful beacons of light. We are joining in one accord. John, I'm seeing you, uh, oh, okay, let me finish. So now we understand that with the amalgamation of the totality of our soul process, we are also one with our higher self. We have given permission to the higher self the fifth dimensional parts of ourselves to become active in this free will kingdom. Okay. And also we're going to move in the totality of this group right into the center of the pure soul essence of the originating source of all there is and conscious cooperation with the originating source, giving us the guarantee that we're going to be working at the very highest level that we can. Okay. Um, I'm already feeling a tremendous amount of pain from John, so I want to just start right there. There's just so much pain, so much suffering. Uh, and this pain and suffering is literally drawing in to his outer reality more pain and suffering. We need to begin there, John. We need to start with you just beginning to let go of the pain and suffering that you are experiencing at the moment. And also the pain and suffering you've experienced over eons of time. It is as if you have this huge well of pain and suffering. And I want you, and I've seen you just standing there. I want you to open your mouth. It seems to be coming out of the mouth. It's coming from the totality of the torso and out of your mouth for some reason. Um, it's something to do with the expression of your pain and suffering. I have a feeling that you express yourself through your voice, through your words. Uh, you express a lot of this pain and suffering. I see cynicism here. I see uh, anger here. I see frustration here. I see being a victim here, uh, the belief that you're a victim, you, you, the, the idea that they're, you're powerless. And, you know, you're just at the whim of situations and conditions. There's, and I think some of these we've worked on in the past, but there is more, more layers here. So let's just keep going. We won't worry about what came up in the past. But right now it's all coming out of your mouth. And it's this dark, uh, disgusting stuff, stream of energy coming out of your mouth, and it's hitting your brilliant light. It's hitting your brilliant light, and it's being neutralized. But the dark stuff is so big, it's like you can't wait to get rid of it. You are, it's, I, and I use this term sometimes because it, when it comes up, but it's like projectile vomiting. And it's like you've eaten for three days without stopping. And so the vomiting is thick and it's continual and it just keeps coming up. And it's dark and it's very, very yucky looking. Ugh. 
uh, year. Um, but I like it. I'd rather have it come up and out than have you hold on to it. And actually, <coughs> excuse me, I am feeling some some relief. I'm feeling some relief. So there was so much pressure there, so much pressure. I wouldn't be surprised if you didn't even have some stomach issues, but there's so much pressure at the top part of the stomach because it wanted to come out, but it, was, it wasn't coming out. It was being held on to. All right, so I just want you to continue with that. And as I see what, what else is here, Ugh. I want to call in um, divine health because it feels like it could be affecting your physical body now. You didn't say word one in your letter about your physical body, and that's good because that, gives, that means to me that if there is something, it's not important enough or big enough or uh, difficult enough for you to mention. But I do want to bring in divine healing and divine health for the physical body because it just feels to me that there could be something uh, related in the physical body to this energy. So I want to call that in. Okay, so. Well, this is interesting. What you did just now is you're doing this projectile vomiting. And I saw you separate. There's like, it's like there's two parts of you on the, on the platform. You were one symbolic part where you were doing the projectile vomiting and you're still doing it. And then now it's like part of you stepped away and separated yourself. There's another symbol here of you that separated yourself from the projectile vomiting because you wanted to keep going, but you, you knew that vomiting still had to happen. So you're coming out and you're now talking to me. And I just want to see what it is you want to say. It's hard to talk when you're vomiting, you know. So I think you, you just needed to come out to express And you're basically telling me that it's very hard for you to accept that life can be beautiful, that life can be good, that life can be fulfilling, that life can be successful, that you are very deeply um, concerned and very deeply entrenched in the whole thought that life itself is a practice in difficulties and problems, and that you just you just have so little to hold on to where good happened. And so, in other words, it's, it's you at the soul level coming out and just saying from this heartfelt, deep place, I'm so unhappy and I can't imagine, I can't hold on to, I can't... Uh, it, it's it's hard to put words around, but it's just this tremendous difficulty in accepting that there can be a good life, that you're so used to being in this place and having to deal with the miseries of life, not just this life, but other lives. You have some intellectual knowledge uh, and some memories of good times, but they're so crowded out, so overshadowed with the 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 absolute massive amount of difficulty and difficult experiences you've had, and you've taken on some very deep belief systems 
based on real experience. Let me be really clear here. Based on real experience, and I'm not getting a specific life. I'm just getting this overwhelming sense of so many lives that were so difficult that you've taken on this viewpoint that life is just synonymous with misery. And so I want to just have you begin to release some of these belief systems and along with them, the causes, the actual experiences you've gone through. I want you to, this is very interesting. There's going to be a lot of stuff, experiential stuff. So it's coming out almost non-verbally. I'm seeing it coming out from the front of you through the, the, the front of the body, out the heart, the chest, the front of the face, and out the top of the head. It's as if you're, you're just letting go of the experiential uh, devastation, experiential difficulties. The emo- there's a lot of emotions here. There's a lot of um, distraught. I'm getting the word distraught, that feeling that you just distraught, the pain, the suffering. Uh, the suffering we're already working on, but the heartache, there's a lot of heartache here. There's a lot of betrayal here. There's a lot of betrayal here where you just feel so... Uh, so often you were betrayed, so often you were, somebody turned on you, somebody abandoned you, somebody um, just couldn't accept you for who you were. There's a lot of that, that somehow, oh, this whole thing about failure, here it is, woohoo, here it is, John, tons and tons of feeling you failed over and over and over again. People have been harping on it. I would use the word harping over and over and over again about what a failure you are. Now, what I see so clearly is that you have fallen. A lot of the reason that the, a lot of the reasons people harped on your failure is that you were always an out of the box kind of person. You were one that didn't fit into a lot of the societies in the in the in the exact way that the societies defined who you should have been as a man or as a woman or whatever. And so you were always considered a failure. If you were, for example, you know, this is a silly example. I don't know if this came to mind, but let's say you were in a society that hunting and gathering society and the highest status, the most important thing to supply for your family and your loved ones was to be a hunter, you would be one that would vocalize the need to only kill what we can use. (laughs) Now, I want people to understand that that in the early stages into the human kingdom, we we tend to um, think and, and put that onto, say, tribal societies that they automatically did that and automatically had a uh, a respect for the animals and cared and only killed what they could use or needed. Okay. Well, this just isn't the case. Absolutely wasn't the case. They, that is a more advanced human awareness. But you would come in being a fifth dimensional, you would come in and you would be in that kind of society. You might have been a hunter or not. You may have been sort of a protester because you didn't like the fact that the, the, the village would use a technique where they literally would chase a herd of buffalo or a herd of 
mastodon or a herd of deer off a cliff and kill thousands of animals in the herd and only use a couple of dozen. And this was the case, guys. That's what happened in the very early days. They needed meat, and that was a technique they could use. It probably was pre-tools or something. But in any case, the this is a situation where you stuck out and so everybody would get on your case. They would harp on you, you know, get off this message, get off this. And I'm telling you, this is what I see. And the higher selves are indicating dozens and dozens, probably hundreds and hundreds of lives like this, where you didn't fit. You had, you brought in some small way or some large way. And this is typical for all of the fifth dimensionals carrying the dual soul nature. You didn't fit. You absolutely didn't fit. And you were just attacked sometimes by people who were well-meaning. Well, if you don't go out and hunt, you're not going to get, we're not going to get meat. We're your family. We're not going to get the meat we need. If you don't go out and hunt, if you sit here and protest, we're going to go hungry. So, yeah, you got, for many different reasons, people attacking you. There would be people, I'm just using this one example, there would be people people in that society that felt obligated perhaps to feed your family because you would refuse to hunt, for example, and then they built up resentment and they're just talking and denigrating you all over the map saying, oh, you're so irresponsible, you're so this, you're so that, what a loser, okay? And so in, in whatever way they would have said it in that kind of primitive lifestyle, time. So this is what happened. This is what happened to you. And this failure thing is huge. And of course, don't we take all of this stuff in? And so your self-attack is huge and you don't know how to fix it because in those lives, guess what? There was no way to fix it. No understanding that we have now. We didn't know we could neutralize. We didn't know we can use divine energies to forgive ourselves. We didn't know we could use divine energies to love ourselves. We didn't know we could do a lot of stuff that we know now. And so I want you to release the, the uh, whole idea that there is no solution because that is really a big part of it. You didn't know how to fix it. You didn't know how to mesh who you were with the society you were in, the culture you were in, the, the situation you were in. You didn't know how to mesh it. There was no answers. There was no solution. And so this whole idea, there's all these belief systems that there, there's nothing I can do. I'm a loser, period, end of the story. It's this acceptance that not only you're a loser, but you're a loser forever. That this is it. It's almost as if you feel as if you're a lost soul. And this is, of course, not the case. It's a belief system. And I want you to let go of the whole idea. There is no solution there, that you're a lost soul, that you can't fix it, that there is no way to go, that there is nothing you can do to turn your life around. Because that in itself even holds you back from trying things to, to turn your life around. So because if you're convinced no matter what you try, it's not going to be the answer, then we give up. We stop trying. And that's where this whole idea of killing the self. So I want you to release all thoughts of uh, 
suicide, very important, release all thoughts of suicide because, in fact, that just holds you stuck. You'll come back in another life with the very same issues, the same soul scrambles, and it will reappear again. Hey, and there's no guarantee that you'll pick the perfect life to come back to have all the answers. You have them right now. You have them right now. You have the answers. You have the techniques. You have the tools. If you don't have them from somewhere else, I know that you have them from me. I know you read my book. I know you understand. It's just a matter of letting go of more of this, this viewpoint that nothing can change. Nothing can change. Let that go. That is a belief system. Okay, let me see. I want to see. I want to see. There's a part of you that is afraid to hope because you've hoped in the past and then had your hopes dashed. And so I want you to release the fear, the fear of hoping, the fear that change can't really happen, the fear that this is wrong, the fear that you're being naive to think that there is some help here. Just keep letting go of these fears, this this resistance to trying, because if you don't try, you can't fail, and you don't get hit with a hurt all over again. So their tendency is here is definitely to not try, to not hope. I want to bring in uh, divine hope again, uh, not again, but I want to bring it in and just have you surrounded in this divine hope. And the hope here is that the solutions and the resolutions are going to work and you're going to find that life can be that beautiful thing, that beautiful experience, that fulfilling experience, that successful experience that you so want. And I'm now going to bring in and have that divine faith energy move in through and around you as well. Remember that divine faith carries the energy to manifest, to help manifest all that you hope for. So I am bringing all of that in, and you're just surrounded in this beautiful energy. And I want you to continue to release fear, and I do see it coming out at the top of your head. It's just coming out, not a huge stream, not like the projectile vomiting so much, but just this steady stream out the top of your head. It's what you can handle right now, because the fear in a way has kept you safe. It's kept you from being so devastated and disappointed. Let's release disappointment too, discouragement, disappointment, uh, any reluctance to give this a try. A lot of stuff coming out through the heart and through the chest. And it's pulling up from the lower part of your body. Okay, I'm getting something else now about humor. The humor that you use often is dark, often is cynical, often is um, um, plays on, uh, you know, making fun of of weaknesses or discomforts or, you know, it's hard to put words around it because I don't really know your humor, but I see that it is based in some of the very difficult patterns you've experienced and you make fun of the difficulties. You make light of 
the difficulties and you use that in a way to help relieve some of the stress that you carry, some of the, the real darkness, um, darkness not in bad uh, or evil, remember guys, no evil exists here, uh, darkness in the sense of there's very little light penetrating some of the very, very um, deep areas of suffering that you've been through. Uh, you use humor to to help with the pressure that that's built up. But I see now, I want to release the, it's a workaround, it's a way you've handled a lot of this deep suffering, that to use the humor in that way to find a way to look at the pain in different ways, to find a way to deal. I, maybe not putting the right words around it, but it's, it's um, there's something about this kind of humor that in some ways you don't feel like you can be funny without it. It's a weird thing here, but there's almost a resistance to letting some of this pain and suffering out, uh, the hurt, because maybe who, who will you be, who will your humor be without it? It's it's a very interesting kind of thing, but I want to re- I want you to release because it's not an either or. So, example, you can let go of all the pain and the suffering and the hurts and the wounds that you might use through the cynical humor that you carry, or the I don't even know if cynical is the right word, but this this kind of humor where you you play off of human suffering. Um, not to be mean, not to at all be uh, mean, but to deal with your own suffering. Um, but it's not an either or. We can let go of the suffering and you can carry out the humor. Uh, you certainly remember the suffering, at least the suffering in this life. Uh, but also you can even add elements to the humor that wouldn't have been there before. Because you you're not living out of that place of suffering, of depression, of victimization. You can play off maybe both sides. I, I don't know, but it feels like the humor can really evolve, and it will bring you uh, to new levels of your career. And I don't know how you use humor exactly in your acting, but I want you to release the either or approach that somehow this is going to change who you are or you won't know who you are. It's threatening your self-identity. It's a very strong self-identity here. So I want you to let go of the self-identity of being someone who's suffering, who's depressed, whose experiences are one mass, one negative thing after another you know, adding on the jaywalking ticket and that sort of thing. It's just one thing after another. And this is part of the self-identity that you're just someone who these kind of things chronically happens to. And we need to let go of that self-identity because it's holding on. uh, It's it's making it more difficult for you to let go of some of the fear um, because you're afraid it's going to affect your humor. I'm maybe not putting the right words around it, but even if I can't say it exactly, the higher selves are indicating that you are releasing, you are doing a lot of good work here. And let's definitely release despair. Let's call it what it is, despair, 
uh, depression, even if you've gotten yourself to a more stable point at this point, that's been there. We need to release it. We need to let it go. We don't want to just leave it in there. And I do feel a lot of it still coming out of the heart and the top of the abdomen. It's just pouring out. It's pulling from a lot of areas. And there's a big resistance somehow in the root chakra. There isn't much coming out there. I feel like we need to clear that that block, whatever it is. Let me see. Uh, I want to call in divine light. Let's call in divine flush. Literally, let's flush everything out. I don't mean to be too graphic here, but we want to flush everything out, even out through the root chakra. Um, let's get some diarrhea going here, guys. Diarrhea releasing out of the chakra whatever is is holding you back at that level um i do believe the root chakra has something to do with material balance uh with finances i'm not sure exactly because i don't the higher self never talk about exactly what the chakras are but i remember hearing that from somewhere so but in any case we want to um we want to release as much as we can and there's a lot of pressure now there's kind of a plug there and I don't know what the plug is, but um, the, the pressure of the divine light is, is building and building. And I feel like it is going to break through and it has broken through. So now there's a lot of release coming out through this divine flush is actually moving through the whole physical body, through the etheric bodies and, and symbolically is releasing out through the root chakra. I'm not getting specific pattern here. I'm just seeing the light flushing through and carrying with it all sorts of debris and toxins, uh, residue, uh, both physical and mostly energetic that was holding back uh, or holding onto the uh, pattern of um, being broke, financial lack. So that's what we're working on here, the financial lack. We're releasing as much financial lack as possible, and we're calling on the divine material balance. I want you to to connect with the divine material balance. The pure soul essence of the planet Earth carries this concept, as I've talked about in several shows, and I want you to see it moving up through your legs and permeating the totality of who you are so that you're working both sides of the coin. We're releasing material lack, and we're bringing in divine material balance and this will hopefully enable you to get out of this place where you're um, living in the state of constant financial lack okay you've actually stepped back into that part of you I mean it's just a symbol you step back into that part of you that was doing the projectile vomiting, that is actually over now and you become merged together and you just seem like a much, there's a much um, more whole feeling, uh, more centered feeling, more connected to the self instead of connected to the pattern, which is what you were connected to and you aren't your pattern. You aren't your financial problems. I say it in the now very wobbly intro we aren't our illness we aren't our financial lack we aren't our loneliness we aren't our pattern that's not who we are and you now are standing more connected to who you are you're 
your true soul essence, your pure soul essence. This is who you truly are, not the facade soul patterns. So now you've, you've released enough layers, enough gunk has gone that there is a more solid connection to who you truly are. And I want to put in again divine love, divine forgiveness, divine acceptance and, and acceptance of the self, divine unfoldment, divine fulfillment, divine success. And you're taking these energies in, which is very heartening, makes me feel good. And you're just kind of, I'm seeing the symbol itself kind of expand as you take in more and more of these uh, divine energies. It's as if you're resonating with them and you're moving with them and expanding with them. Now, the higher selves are indicating there's been a lot of healing going on around all of the people here. And there were, I didn't say it, but there are many, many layers of, of individuals uh, that, that are present, past, present, and future listeners. So there's actually, I'm getting a sense of cocoon being put around each and every one because there's been a lot of healing. The, the issues that John had were relevant to so many. And I feel like we could have de- done a lot more digging, but the show is coming to a close. And that's, John did so much that that's all that the higher self indicated it was time to end. So in any case, the cocoon is around you, John. And I'm just checking now. There is still some processing going on, but it is just a little bit. It's just sort of little streams of energy coming out here or there. I do see a nice running of energy through you. So that makes me feel good. It's continuing to cleanse and process uh, the neutralizing of, of a lot of the, the residue and stuff like that. Okay. So that's the scoop. And I see I have a caller. Wow. Since I started the healing, ending in 7526, I don't know if you want to say anything or ask anything, but if you do, um, now would be the time before I end, of the, end the show, uh, but no pressure, of course. Of course, I'm trying to find a pen. I can't believe I don't have a pen up here. Anyway, um, welcome caller, and any callers can call anytime. And next week, I do want to tell you I'm not going to be having a show. I'll be traveling back east. But a week from next week, in two weeks, I will be having a show. It'll be on the 21st. So I don't know what the topic will be. The higher self tend to be leading me along here. And hopefully I will know by, by two weeks. <laughs> um, but I'm sure I will. Anyway, I wish you all the best. Please, if you want to contact me, Janet at higherselfvoice.com or Janet at JanetRichmond.com. You have any questions? I mean, this is heavy duty stuff that I've talked about on um, attachments and possessions. Uh, I have a feeling many of you will have a question if somebody you know uh, ha- is attached or has a possession. I don't, I might not necessarily know, but I can certainly talk to you about it. There are many things that might come up. And I'm just getting into it myself on the radio slowly but surely. 
and I can't tell you where it's going to lead, but I was, I've been very surprised that the higher self has gotten me into this. They're indicating that it's, it's really important on the planet now. They're indicating that it is, they always, and I've talked to you guys about it, they want us to offer other viewpoints so that people have choice. If the only viewpoint you have, for example, is that something that's possessing somebody else is something evil or it's a demon, that's the one choice they have to to take in. So to offer another choice is is what we're here for. We never pressure that they have to believe what we say or don't say, but it allows them at the soul level to find different ideas, different perspectives, different viewpoints. What fits with their viewpoint? If they don't have a choice, if there's not anything else, any other perspective, there is no choice. And so that's the higher selves are indicating that this this is very important that that we get some of these ideas that at least for me um, they say all fifth dimensional can offer this not to ram anything down somebody's throat it's not about that but to offer the different ideas and I have a huge amount of information on things that have never come out for me and so this show is becoming just that the show is becoming the you know, it's much faster for me to do it on the show than write books on it, but not everybody writes listens to the show. I don't really know. I don't think that many people listen to the show, but it's okay. And you know what? I just, the higher self just told me, oh God, this is so interesting, that I'm going to do an audio book using parts of the show. I just have to edit what I've already talked about. Oh God. Whoa. Who thought about doing an audio book before you do the written book? I never thought of that before. But I think that's what's going to happen. And I think that's why I'm doing this. So it's very bizarre. Um, I'm excited. Wow. Now that's just taken me. So anyway, email me, guys. Do you have any questions, any thoughts, any ideas? We're all in this together. Remember, we're all in this together. And I learn all the time from people. I'm still unfolding myself. I'm still growing. I'm still expanding. I don't have all the answers. And luckily, when I go out and ask, the higher selves often do give me some perspectives and viewpoints that I never had before. But there's times I don't even think to ask, and I don't have enough time in my day to ask everything. So, you know, I'm learning from everybody else. I have some very wonderful people that, Send me, did you see this, you know, some little click, some link to something or some article, some ideas, some quotes some something. And, and it's just great because they're sharing with me and I'm absolutely appreciative because I don't go out and look at everything else. But if something talks to them based and it's related to what I say, they'll share it with me. Sometimes I do a private session and some brand new piece of information comes in. And I go, oh, my gosh, I never thought of that. And then I bring it to you all. <laughs> or I work on it first a lot for myself. 
anyway, you, you know what I'm saying. We're, we really are all in this together, and I don't want you to think any other way. We're all in it together. And I love you all. I love the show. And I hope I hope you all have a good two weeks. And I will be back in, um, I think it's the 21st. I'm sure it's the 21st. So love you all very, very much. Also, if you want to want a healing, guys, don't forget, you can write in requesting a healing. Okay? All right. Love you. Thank you for listening to Janet Richmond and the Higher Self Voice. Visit Janet's website at JanetRichmond.com to view all of her upcoming events or to buy her book, Choices, Neutralizing Your Negative Thoughts and Emotional Blueprints.